One of the favorite or my favorite songs in uh, one of the song books, I guess, I guess it's not in the one that we use, but uh, it's a, it, the title of it is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I really like the words to that song because it says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth, they'll grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The more we look to Jesus, the less attraction this world has to us. When we get to know him and when we see him for who he is and for what he's done for us, there is, uh, there's a sense in which we want to turn away from the world and serve him out of appreciation. And so for the next few weeks, we are doing a series of lessons on trying to look at Jesus look at a few events, some encounters that he had with other people in his life. And uh, these events, I think, help us to fall in love with him and to see uh, the, the grace that he exhibited and the qualities that uh, we find attractive. Probably all of us, at one point or another, and we could probably spend the afternoon and swap embarrassing stories, but probably all of us have been at some point, caught dead to rights doing the wrong thing. Some of those things may have been insignificant and they're just little things that uh, uh, weren't matters of sin. Others may be matters of more consequence. I was teaching uh, the junior high class at church on a Wednesday night and uh, I believe that, you know, there ought to be some expectations, some ability to measure, some progress and so forth. And and so we would occasionally have uh, tests that we would re- review and just so that we could remember the material. And so we had a test coming up <clears throat> in that class. One of the young men in that congregation decided he didn't want to study for the test, but he wanted to do well on the test. And so here's what he did. He took, you, you know those big pins that are clear, the, the, the shaft of it is clear, and they're kind of like a hexagon. And uh, he took a piece of paper and trimmed it to the length of that pin. And then he folded it around to slide inside of that pin and trimmed it off so that it made a perfect circle. And then he took that piece of paper and he wrote in very fine print, very small, the answers to every question that was going to be on that test. And he stuck that inside his pen, and boy, he was just going to town. He could answer all the questions on the Bible test, but I saw he had a fascination with his pen while he was taking that test. And I looked a little closer, and I thought, well, he's got a paper in He's put a cheat sheet inside of that pen for a Bible test of all things. And so after class, I grabbed him and I said, let me see your pen. And he was kind of, you know, he felt around like he didn't know where it was. And finally, he came forth with it. And I said, what is this all about? Oh, he was so humiliated. He was so embarrassed by his mistake, and there was no getting out of it. He was caught dead to rights. And, you know, it's one thing to cheat. It's another thing to cheat at church. 
And even beyond that, it's another thing to cheat at church and get caught. And beyond that, it's another thing to cheat at church and get caught by the preacher. <laughs> that boy was just, he was beaten. It was, it was a terrible thing, a position for him to have been in. But we can all relate our own stories. We've all done things we shouldn't have done, and we thought, and we took pains to, to kind of let it get, we, we can do this and not get caught. And we get caught dead to rights, and it is embarrassing and humiliating. In John chapter 8, we have the record of a woman who was caught dead to rights. She had sinned in a way that uh, is very embarrassing as it comes to light. And Jesus is presented with this woman and he has the power to destroy or lift this woman up. And I want us to look together and see how Jesus handled this very difficult situation and see if we can't learn from him and how we deal with others and come to appreciate him more for the, the man that he was. In John chapter 8, I appreciate Steve for reading those 11 verses, but I, again, it's one of those, we, we just need to see it all. There's no stopping place as you begin to read that. But as we come to this passage, we see a condemned sinner. In John chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, there were some men who brought to Jesus, the scribes and Pharisees brought to Jesus a woman who was guilty of adultery, caught in the very act, taken in the very act of adultery. I don't know what kind of preparation they allowed her to make as they drug her away and took him to took her to Jesus, but she is in a bad situation. This woman has been embarrassed. She is standing before Jesus condemned, caught in the very acts. We all find ourselves guilty of sin. And, you know, sin is sin in the respect that it causes us to grieve God. It separates us from God. It, it demands reconciliation if we're ever to go to heaven. And this woman has committed sin. And in that respect, we're all just like her. We have all sinned. James 2 and verse 10 says, if you offend in one point of the law, you're guilty of all. Uh, it, you're a lawbreaker, whether it's adultery or whether it's cheating on a Bible class test. You're guilty. And so we stand before God today, just like she did, and um, we are guilty. Though the world may judge sins to be weightier, and there are sins that have weightier consequences, there are some sins that, well we find to be more shameful, more we want to hide and not let other people know about. But all sin is shameful. And here's the thing. All sin will be brought to light, whether you're cheating on a test or, in this case, you've committed adultery. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 14, as he comes to a conclusion of that, that book, God reminds us, Solomon reminds us, that in the judgment, everything, every secret thing will be brought to the light of day. No one is going to, to get away with sin. No one is going to successfully hide or cover their sin. We're all going to answer to God 
for the sins we've had. We'll all be exposed. Every one of us will be exposed if our sins are not forgiven. So now, according to the law, this woman deserved to die for her sins. In the Bible, if you turn in your Bible to Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10, those who were committed are caught committing adultery. They're to be stoned to death, taken out and stoned to death. Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 22 says the same thing. And not just the man, but the woman, both of them who are guilty of adultery are to be stoned to death under the the law. Nobody gets away with it. So here's a woman who is guilty, caught dead to rights, just as we have been. And she is brought before Jesus, the Son of God. Just like someday we too will have to stand before Jesus, the Son of God. Well, I think it's interesting what happens. Turn in your Bible again to John chapter 8, and let's look at the next point, because what we see is a cruel scheme that takes place with Jesus, or with this uh, woman and Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees that are involved. What we learn from this record is that this whole scenario The fact that they caught her committing adultery, it was all planned. It was to test Jesus. It was in an effort to get something on him that they could thereby accuse him of doing something wrong. And so they scheme and plan and plot for this woman to be guilty of adultery. That is mind-blowing coming from men who are religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes. These are men who are supposed to love God and be leaders of the people of Israel, and they are planning to trip and to trap a woman in sin and then bring her. That shows no regard for her salvation at all. She is just a pawn in their plan. They could care less about this woman They could care less about her sin. They could care less about her soul. They could care less about her relationship with God. They just want to use her to an end. We want to get rid of Jesus. And if it means that I will put you in a position that separates you from your relationship to God, I'll do it. It doesn't matter to me. It's just a woman. Well, they had an agenda And the agenda was to put Jesus on the horns of a dilemma. I mean, what are you going to do with this, Jesus? Because the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus and said, listen, we caught her, and there's no question about it. We caught her in the very act of adultery, and the law says that that person is to be stoned to death. What do you say about it? Now, what the dilemma is, if Jesus says, let's take her out and stone her, then he is going to be in trouble with the Roman authorities because they didn't permit that. All capital crimes had to be handled through them. And so they thought, well, we'll either get him in trouble with Rome or we'll get him in trouble violating the law because he won't follow through with what Moses taught. And so they thought, we have got him now. There's no way out of this. So they come to Jesus and say, what are you going to do with her, Jesus? We've caught her dead to rights. She's guilty of adultery. And um, the, the fact that they would treat her in such a way and set the whole thing up 
and the public humiliation of it. You know, the Old Testament in Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 9, it says that a person who has love, they seek to cover sin, not expose it. These people set up a scenario to entrap a woman in sin and then publicly humiliate her in the way that they did. The hardness of their hearts comes through so clearly. But Jesus is faced with the dilemma. What's Jesus going to do? Is he going to judge her? Is he going to have her stoned? Is he going to excuse her? Is he going to ignore the law of God given by Moses? That's the dilemma that we have. And I'll tell you, a lesser man may have blundered under such pressure, but we're not dealing with just any old man. We're dealing with the Son of God who always did the right thing in the right circumstance, and he does here. You know, I think it's interesting that the Bible tells us, and it'll give us an indication of what takes place here but and why Jesus makes the right decision in this story. But the Bible tells us that Jesus was a friend to sinners. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 34, the Bible says that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's the complaint that the Pharisees had against him. Isn't that a nice accusation to have? That guy over there, he likes sinners. He's good to people who are bad. Jesus once said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance. I hope we're all known as friends to sinners. I hope that's our reputation of this congregation. This congregation here at Carnes, they are friends to sinners. They will listen. They will try to help. They will try to lift up people who have been humiliated and embarrassed by their sins and by their choices. I want us to be like Jesus in the respect that we are friends to sinners. So here's the situation. They've caught a woman. They set up a woman, caught her in her sin, an embarrassing, compromising situation that carried a death sentence. And they brought her to Jesus with no compassion for her. She's just an object they probably threw down in front of him and said, there she is, guilty. What are we going to do with her? But listen to the compassionate Savior. As this woman is brought before Jesus, Jesus, well, he begins with a rebuke. But the rebuke isn't directed toward the woman. The rebuke is directed toward those who brought her to him. He says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. You know, there are a couple of verses in the Bible that everybody, whether they're Bible believers or not, seem to be able to quote. Matthew 7 and verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. You know, that's one that everybody knows. The other one that everybody knows, I guess, is this one. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. That passage is misunderstood, frequently misapplied and abused. Jesus is not saying 
that for judgment to occur in this woman's case, somebody has to be sinless to be able to pass the judgment. If that were the case, nobody would ever be punished for anything. Because the Bible makes it very clear that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3 and verse 10. We're all guilty. And so if, if Jesus is saying in that verse that we can't pass judgment on anybody for anything unless we're perfect, then no judgment about anything can ever be made. But I know that's not what he means because there are executions of judgment throughout Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 5, he tells the church to withdraw from a man who is disorderly, who is guilty of fornication. Were those Corinthians perfect people? Well, no. Were they commanded to pass judgment? Yes. You see, that's not what Jesus meant. I think what he's talking about here is it's a rebuke to those who had plotted and conjured up this scheme manipulated this woman to catch her in adultery and they bring her to him. That means they had to have a man involved in this scheme and and a woman involved in this scheme and and to arrange a situation where the two would meet and and some clandestine meeting where everything is arranged and we're going to burst in on them at the right time and catch them in the very act. It's all a big plan. And Jesus is saying to those men who planned this event, if you're without sin, in reference to this, not perfectly sinless throughout your whole lifetime, but if you are without sin in this event that has transpired here today, well, then you go ahead and cast the first stone. They couldn't do that because they knew they had a hand in this. They set it up. They planned for it. It was all part of their scheme. They were guilty, not in the sense of committing the adultery, but they were certainly guilty in the whole situation and creating the, the uh, scheme. Jesus also, after he, after he corrects them, he shows compassion to the woman by saying, where, you're, where are those who condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, a lot has been made of that statement that Jesus made there. I, I don't condemn you. Ah, here's a woman who's committed adultery. Jesus himself won't even condemn her. Jesus is a loving and merciful God. You get away with anything. You're not held to accountability. At the end of the day, Jesus is always going to extend forgiveness to people. Folks, you've missed again the point. What Jesus does in this, this is an illustration of the wisdom of Jesus and his obedience to God's law precisely. Jesus was not overlooking the law for the side of grace in this story. He didn't have, well, let's see, I can do what the Bible says or I can have mercy on this woman. That's not the dilemma here. The law says this, and if you can go back and read it for yourself, you're more than welcome to. In Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 22, the law says that both the man and the woman are to be brought and stoned. They only brought the woman. Where was the man? 
Why didn't they bring him? If they were caught in the very act, they could have brought him just as easily as they brought her. They didn't. Which exposes the whole hypocrisy of the scheme and it violates what the law actually teaches on this matter. Is there to be a death penalty for adultery? Yes, but applied to the man and to the woman. Secondly, in Levitica, or in Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 7, the Bible says that those who are caught in the act of adultery are to be stoned to death, but those who caught them must begin the stoning themselves. So when Jesus stands and says, all right, guys, if you're innocent in this matter and you haven't done anything wrong yourself, well, you go right ahead and start the proceedings. And for whatever reason, they wouldn't. And for Jesus to have then picked up a stone, he would have been violating the law. She was not legally condemned because her condemners walked away. And that's what Jesus was saying when he said, I don't condemn you either. He wasn't saying, you get off scot-free for committing adultery. He was just saying, I can't legally condemn you because the law says that the man has to be brought and it says that those who caught you have to commence the stoning. And I'm not in a position to do that. So legally, I can't condemn you. But spiritually, she stood condemned because he turns to her and says, you got to quit this. Go and sin no more. You're guilty before God. And I can make a statement about that. In this passage, Jesus shows compassion. He shows wisdom. The other men seem to care not about her at all, her soul. They set up a scenario to entrap her in sin. Jesus doesn't want her to sin. He tells her, don't do it anymore. And there's a vast difference between those men and what Jesus did on this occasion. And so what we have here is not an example of Jesus who's faced with, here's what the law says. It demands judgment. But you know, I'm just going to set aside the law because I'm such a kind-hearted guy. And I'm just going to let you go scot-free. That's what some try to make of John chapter 8, and that is not the case at all. What we have in John chapter 8 is Jesus looking into the hearts of men, knowing they're not right. They have created some scheme to catch and trap him into some dilemma. And I would love to know what he wrote on the ground, because it seems to be the turning point. The Bible doesn't record for us. There's no sense in guessing what he wrote on the ground. And I think it's interesting, too, that when they said to him, all right, here's what Moses said. He said that they should be stoned to death. What do you say? And then the Bible says he just kneeled down and started writing in the ground. And then the Bible continues to say that they continued to ask him. It was like he was totally ignoring them. Have you ever wanted to hear something from somebody or, or you're in a position and you're just demanding an answer and they ignore you? And so you demand more and, and you demand more. And that's what they were doing. Jesus was just oblivious to whatever they were saying. What do you say? Tell us, what do you say? Moses said this, what are you going to say? And they just kept saying it over and over again to him. 
And he just kept right on ignoring them. And whatever it is that he wrote on the ground seems to have a connection. Because after they saw what he had written, they one by one begin to leave. And when he looks up, they're gone. And when they're gone, there's no legal grounds for an execution. And the dilemma has disappeared for him between the Roman authorities and so forth. Jesus did not overlook the law. In fact, he precisely obeyed the law by the actions that he took that day. It's not a matter of, well, are we going to hold to grace or are we going to hold to law? There is no grace without law. Grace and law go hand in hand. And Jesus respected both in this passage. He went back and respected what the law of Moses said. And at the same time, he gave a sense of compassion and concern and love for a woman that others could have cared less about. She was just a tool in their hands to an advance agenda and agenda. But to Jesus... She was a soul that needed to be lifted up and pointed to God. And that's what he does. I don't know, you know, uh, Benny just read for us or quoted for us a a passage from um, a song that talks about the woman caught in adultery. Wouldn't you like to know what became of her after this? Did this experience forevermore Did she come so close to death and receive such respect from Jesus that it changed her life? Did she feel like she had a new lease on life, a second chance, and she was going to make good with it? I I don't know. I'd like to know, but the Bible doesn't tell us. But that brings us to our situation. If we can jump from that first century to now, We, like her, stand condemned. And there are people that could care less about whether you're saved or lost. There are people who probably take some sordid pleasure when your sins are exposed. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Boy, I bet they, you know, and they take pleasure in that kind of thing. Not Jesus. When we stand condemned and we are embarrassed and humiliated because of our sins. There is a Jesus who loves us enough that he will offer us dignity, give us a second chance, and offer us forgiveness. Who are you living for? You're going to live for those that would only use you and behind your back laugh at you when you make mistakes and they're your friends? Or... Will you surrender your life to Jesus who will love you in spite of what you've done, who will help to pick you up and challenge you to live more fully in the the light of God's will, who will offer forgiveness to you? I hope you'll follow Jesus. Learn from this woman. Learn about the love of God, the love he has for you, and turn to him. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a child of God, Jesus said, repent or or believe and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. If you believe in him, do what he said and 
turn from your sin and be baptized, and He will forgive you. And you'll become a child of God. All those sins that would otherwise, someday, you'll have to have exposed, and you'll stand before one that you respect more than anybody in the world, and you'll have to give answer for all those things. If you turn to Jesus, those sins will be erased. If you haven't been baptized into Christ, do that this morning. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, maybe you've been caught in sin, or maybe you've not been caught, but you know that someday you will be. Understand the nature of the God you serve. He'll give you dignity. He'll love you in spite of yourself. And He'll call you to a better way. And if you need to respond to that, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.